Another day, another chance for the Canucks to get their first points at home of the season. They're getting set to face the New York Rangers here at Rogers Arena. It's the Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. Joining me, as always, my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance. Of course, you can read Drance's fantastic work covering the Canucks, always at The Athletic. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. And Drancer Canucks players filtering off the ice after the morning game day skate here at Rogers Arena. And I'll, 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 we got lots to get into, some, some weighty topics to discuss around the Canucks. But all I'll say is I hope tonight's game looks in some way different than what we've seen from the first three home games of the season. Because this building could use a little energy, could use a little life after the Canucks have started, the way the Canucks have started their home portion of the schedule so after far. After the Canucks sucked the, sucked the life out of the yep. building in the first three games. It's going to be an interesting one. I mean, this New York Rangers team is flying high, but I think they're gettable. I don't really love their five-on-five game to this point they're really reliant on a pair of excellent young goalies so you know i mean sound familiar yes so (laughs) i do think this is a a more equal contest than perhaps you'd expect if you looked at the standings and thought that the rangers big toughness experiment was a resounding success not so sure about that Uh, but we're sitting here in rogers arena it was an interesting day at practice yesterday Interesting morning skate today, and, and of course, J.T. Miller just catching up with some of his old Rangers teammates as we speak to the audience here live. And we'll get you, we'll, we'll dig in more to the matchup between the Rangers and the Canucks, some of the, the news and details that came out of morning skate for the Canucks today. Get your thoughts in, as always, 650-650 is the Dunbar, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. What do you want to see? What are you hoping to see that's different from the Canucks? Anything on your mind about this team? Hit us up, 650 650. Drancer, as you said, yesterday was a very, very interesting day around this team as well. Travis Hamanick was a full participant in practice with the team yesterday for the first time this year, and then he spoke to the media as well after that. It was a lengthy media session. It started with about, I think, a four-and-a-half-minute prepared statement from Travis Hamanick before there were even questions fielded. Then I think he answered questions for about 15 more minutes. After that, it, it was... We learned some things, but it also raised more questions. Questions would seem to be answered pretty straightforwardly after that by the Canucks, or in pretty short order, I should say. What did you take away overall from not just Travis Hamannick's presence at practice, but also the discussion he had with the media after that practice yesterday? Yeah, I mean, I thought that overall, you know, it was tough to watch that and not have compassion for the human being, right? Uh, Clearly, it was a difficult press conference for him to do, to get through. Um, so, you know, you got to appreciate that. Uh, you know, for me, I mean, the only thing that, um, you know, the only thing <laughs> we need to respect is privacy. We don't deserve the why. Right. You know, like we're not owed that. But I do think we should understand or have some understanding of a player's basic availability in the league this year. And because of the protocols, the way they're spelled out and agreed to by both the NHL and the NHLPA, like 31 other teams determined that they had to be relatively – transparent with their fans about protocol related absences for their players i mean you saw it in edmonton with duncan keith and with uh, josh archibald you saw it in toronto with william nylander as camp opened and there were certain events that he couldn't participate in um you saw it obviously in new jersey with Mackenzie blackwood and clearly you've seen it in detroit and you know this is the only team that i think 
to this point, and up until yesterday, wasn't exactly transparent about that. And ultimately, when Hamannick spoke about it and addressed his status, it, it wasn't entirely clear and needed to be clarified later. And, you know, I, I, he it was clearly a difficult one for him, and I wonder if the organization would have been better off clarifying it before he spoke so that it wasn't on him. Right. You know, he had so many other things to say, and, and you know, it was a... It was an availability filled with his humanity. And, and again, I think regardless of, you know, the, the politics around everything these days, I do think it's important to have compassion for people and understand that various people's experiences are different, even as it pertains to something, you know, that we should all be doing, like um, being vaccinated. So, you know, I, I, it was really hard to watch that and not have a ton of compassion for him. Um, but I do sort of wonder if the organization would have been better off being transparent much earlier in this process or even yesterday putting out something before he spoke so that it wasn't the onus wasn't on him to clarify you know the nitty-gritty details that I think the fan base does sort of need in order to just assess and, and understand where this team's at and I think you make you make a good distinction between the why and the what right mm-hmm. if I think what most people wanted because there has been a lot of mystery and a lot of speculation around Travis Hamannick's situation, his availability, his absence from the team. And when he comes back and, he, you know, he's not just around the team, he's a full participant in practice, you're right. It, it is fair to expect a certain level of transparency. And I think if if that transparency had been present right off the bat, sure, there would have been some fans demanding more and saying, well, why is this the case? Why did he make these decisions? But I think by and large that would have done a lot to settle the issue. Now, after Travis Hamannick spoke and there was some – there was some confusion about exactly where he sits in terms of NHL protocols as a vaccinated or unvaccinated individual. Travis Green cleared that up after the fact and said, you know, he's in the process of getting fully vaccinated. And while he's in that process, we're going to fo- we'll be following all of the relevant protocols. So even if you just reverse the order of those statements, right, it probably goes a long way to clearing things up well, yesterday. Or if you put him up there with an organizational spokesperson, right? right? Like, like perhaps it's Travis, perhaps it's Jim Benning. Right. I mean, I think that would have been a powerful way too to show support for the player. Right. And and then you would have had someone who could have clarified it on the spot just because, you know, the way it first went out to people, the original quote, fans don't understand the distinction between, you know, I'm vaccinated, which was true. And I'm a fully vaccinated individual under NHL protocols, right. which is something very specific. Right. And and it would have helped to have clarity on that right off the bat, like right away. This this, you know, for all that we've waited for. Uh, some sense of understanding in this situation. We still don't have it, right? Like, there's yep. still a, a personal side to this that goes well beyond what Hamannick was willing to show, what he was willing to share. That's his right. We respect that entirely. But, you know, to, to wait as long as we did to have uh, answers finally presented and then for them to not be as clear as they perhaps could have been, you know, six weeks after Hamannick's absence was first noted at the first day of training camp, you know, wasn't ideal, I don't think, in terms of a, of a rollout. 650-650, keep your thoughts coming into the Dunbar Lumbar text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, not Dunbar Lumbar. That's something else entirely, but <laughs> the Canucks... My, my wife's Italian, right? And and when I when I first married her, I'd, I, I was someone... They called them a pasta sayer or a pasta sayer because I said pasta, right? And so I, I was grinded constantly. So finally I adjusted and started saying pasta correctly, but then I always tripped over pasta salad because I had to switch... 
emphasis, right? And yep. so I, for yep. years, I'd call it pasta salad, and everyone would look at me like <laughs> I had three heads. So when you when you tripped over Dunbar lumber there, I thought yeah. about that. You, you, <laughs> it's not the first time I've done it. It certainly pa- will not be pasta the last. salad. Yeah, apol- apologies, <laughs> uh, apologies to Ken Priestley and the crew at Dunbar Lumber for that one, but I, uh, I, I will do my best going forward. So we, we talked about Travis Hamanick and his meeting with the media, his his presence at practice, and you know we talked about it on the show yesterday, Drancer. Okay, he's at practice, but what does that mean for his actual availability? Could he go back down to to Abbotsford at some point? What, what, is this just the Canucks trying to get a look at him? And then we're here at Morning Skate today ahead of their game tonight against the Rangers, and by everything we can tell, and we'll see if Travis Green has an update for us when he speaks to the media shortly, it looks like Travis Hamannick is going to figure in the lineup for the Canucks tonight. I'll, I'll just run down wh- how the defense pairs uh, lined up at morning skate for the Canucks, and it was Oliver ekman Larson with Tyler Myers, no surprise there, Quinn Hughes and Tucker Pullman, also a pairing we've become very used to, and then on the third pairing, it was Luke Shen and Travis Hamannick. So Luke Shen playing on his offside as a right-hander on the left side of defense, something that Travis Green usually shies away from, but apparently willing to potentially at least make an exception in this case. And that pairing caught my attention for a couple of different reasons, Trancer. One, because it strongly suggests that, you know, after a relatively brief time around not just this team, but even Abbotsford, he wasn't in Abbotsford all that long, Travis Hamannick. Got the one game in, it suggests that he is going to hit the ice for the Canucks tonight, and it's also very, very interesting to see Luke Shen and Travis Hamannick on a pair tonight against the Rangers. I'm I'm not sure that one makes a ton of sense just at first blush to me. Well, so the only way that it makes sense to me is if it's a device to increase Oliver ekman Larson's ice time. You have four righties, two lefties, right? They rotate through, right? right. And that way, that way, you can play Hamannick. You know, 10 minutes, 12 yes. minutes, if he starts to fade. If Luke Shen, you decide that you want to limit his minutes, you just roll and you double shift both Ekman Larson and Hughes up and up through your four righties, and that way limit, you know, the impact of the fact that the right side of your defense core is not very good and, and you know, find a way to up Oliver Ekman Larson's contributions, was, which honestly the Canucks kind of have to do just because he's been their best skater, he's, he's right? He's been great. He's yeah. been their best skater. He's third among defensemen in ice time. Like yep. They do have to find a way to make him two or one based on his form to this point. So that's the only way that I like it. Now, I don't know that we're going to see that. I think we're just seeing a meat and potatoes third pair to do battle against this revamped, tough-as-nails Gerard Gallant Rangers team. And, you know, what? Uh, I mean, whatever. The Canucks probably don't lose this game because of however that pair plays in in 12 minutes or whatever. But wouldn't it be nice to have a team that other people responded to and adjusted to as opposed to one that always seems to be adjusting to everyone else? I, cer- I mean, wouldn't that be nice? It certainly would. And especially, look, I, I find the whole idea of, oh, the Rangers completely remade the identity of their team and they got Ryan Reeves and Jared Tenorti and Tom Wilson <laughs> won't push them around anymore. I, I find that whole thing pretty ridiculous quite frankly but I mean Ryan Reeves might not even play tonight right Ryan Reeves has been out of the lineup so who exactly if and and listen Travis Green won't field questions about this but if you are looking at this situation and saying man we have to have Luke Shen's size in there against this Rangers team who exactly are you even adjusting for like is it Jared Tenorti he's a third pairing defenseman is it Sammy Blay he's a third liner like why are those (laughs) types of players 
altering what you do to your lineup. I, I don't think you can look at this Rangers lineup. There's nothing in there to me that I look at and say, you know what, they are stylistically so unique and so different from anything else going on around the league that even though, you know, maybe Brad Hunt is our is our sixth best defenseman right now, no, we have to find a way to get Luke Shen in there. It's just there's nothing that meets that threshold where you have to be the team, as you said, to constantly be adjusting. And I just especially think for a Vancouver Canucks team, we've talked about it a lot so far this year, right? They are very much struggling to find their identity as a team, right? And and now you're you're still getting away from that. At least on the surface, it looks like, again, as you say, you're reacting to another team's identity rather than trying to assert your own. And I just think for where this Canucks team is at specifically, they should be focusing on what they are doing, trying to find the perfect mix of their players rather than worrying, oh, man, that team over there has got a pretty big, tough team, so we better mix up our defense pairs mm. as a result. I agree. And, and look, this team's also struggled to score, right? That's what they've struggled to do the most at 5-on-5 five five to this point in the yep. season, right? The, the defense has not been an issue. Like, the issue has been scoring, has been generating – and, you know, losing Jack Rathbone gives you a bit of a shot in that respect anyway, right? Like that losing Jack Rathbone's push makes your defense slower. Like it emphasizes two areas in which the Canucks have arguably struggled the most this season, which is moving the puck out of their own end occasionally, or when Quinn Hughes isn't on the ice, yep. and generating offense. So, you know, to double down on that with two righties on a third pair, uh, neither of them the most mobile, although Travis Hamannick can move a puck. Uh, at least when he's at full speed, right. which he might not be tonight, we, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think that does create some risk, like does create an environment. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't particularly like the move, and the only way that it's salvageable for me is if they're effectively trying to create a second and a third pair in Oliver Ekman-Larsen. Like, if Ekman-Larsen plays 30 minutes tonight and, and just they find a way to up his five-on-five five ice time a ton because of this alignment – then it'll make sense to me. But it has to be that and not adjusting to the Rangers' size or thinking that this will work as a third pair. Uh, unsigned text comes in. I watched Sammy Blay the other day. He's a force. Look, Sammy Blay, <laughs> nice third liner. He has zero goals in eight games. He, he, <laughs> Sammy Blay's fine. He had eight goals in 36 games. Like, like it's great. He's, he's a big body. He gets out there. He throws his weight around. He makes you an know, impact. You know but who he's not? He's not as good as um, who's the Rangers guy they traded for him? Oh man, I'm, the, I'm, the I'm blues now. The Canucks almost the Canucks made a big offer for that guy. I can't remember his name right now though. I don't know why. But uh, again, Sammy Blade, nice player. I'm not saying he shouldn't be in the NHL or anything. Great, useful player. But yeah. my point is not a guy that you adjust your plan for, right? And and that's what I'm trying to get across here is that I, this Canucks or this Rangers team is not so daunting physically. Bushnevich, by the way, Pavel Bushnevich, yeah. absolutely. That yes, you're right. He is not as good as Pavel Bushnevich. Not even but close. This Rangers team is not so daunting physically that I think the Canucks should be going out of their way to make adjustments to their lineup. Uh, lots more to get into, but I do want to just just on this idea of the Shen Hamannick pairing, I have a couple of other thoughts on it. And the first is I think there were a lot of people that applauded the organization for the Brad Hunt signing in the offseason, right? Because even with Ole Levy at the time in the fold, Jack Rathbone obviously in the fold, it made sense to bring in a veteran who's played a lot in the NHL, proven that he can be useful, be make make uh, help a team at the NHL level. It made sense to bring in a guy like that. Now, with Jack Rathbone going down, 
Brad Hunt doesn't look like he's going to get in the game tonight. He is, of course, a left-shot defensive. And I just wonder, isn't this the exact situation that you have Brad Hunt for, right? When you send Jack Rathbone down to the AHL, down to Abbotsford, just for – we don't know how long that's going to last, but just a chance maybe to reset for Jack Rathbone. That's exactly why you have Brad Hunt on the roster, so that he can step in and help your team and you're not worried about who you're bringing in. Instead, you're, you're moving Shen over to his offside. You're asking him to play – with Travis Hamanick, who it's it's going to be his first NHL game. We don't know what speed he'll be at tonight. It, it seems like just an inefficient way to use the players at your disposal. And, you know, on that point, Drancer, we've talked a lot about already this season, you know, what can coaches control, what can't they control, when do coaches bear the responsibility for uh, for players not executing, when is it more on the players, but I think the one thing, you know, not just in the NHL, but really across sports that people will say is a hallmark of good coaching is putting players in a position to succeed, right? Putting players in an, in an environment, asking them to do things that they can be successful at, and I look at Luke Shen playing on his offside, with Travis Hamnick, who's getting into the game for the first time this year, with questions about his fitness and, and his readiness for NHL play, to me, that is not putting either player in a position to succeed tonight. No, you know what? And and fair enough. And one thing one thing that's interesting to watch is among the players that skated after morning skate was not Kyle Burroughs, by the way. Okay. So that would suggest to me that they're at least keeping their options open yep. to potentially ice a different defense pair. But look, Brad Hunt has had 17 really tough minutes, right? Like really tough minutes. And I think that's fundamentally where the decision is being made from, right? Is is at this point he hasn't shown enough, right, to be the option that comes in over Luke Shen's size considering the opponent and the matchup that they're preparing for, right? And And so I think that's the reason. Now... I think Brad Hunt's a lot better than he's shown in 17 minutes. I think the Canucks fans or Canucks fans sort of laughing at uh, Brad Hunt, and I get this a lot because I sang Brad Hunt's praises, yes. right? Like a yes. ton in the offseason. For good reason, by the way. He's good. He's an NHL yeah. player. And it should be noted, awesome personality, right? Like, I remember oh, we, yeah. we had him on the station shortly after he signed, and people were texting, this guy's incredible, right? Like, you just yeah. hear him talk, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's this guy's fantastic. The, the quote that I heard from a guy who knew him pretty well was, uh, uh, like, when I was doing some – um, call making some calls after they signed him was as a person out of ten he's an eleven yes right and so yes. you know but look Brad Hunt's a good player he hasn't been good this year yep. though and I think that's probably what the Canucks are looking at and making some of their decisions here and Sneaky Pete in New West texts in and it's a very fair point Sneaky Pete he says you are assuming Green is reacting to the Rangers lineup it seems like he's simply playing the best and or most experienced defense available and and to your point Drancer that's entirely possible right because it's not as if Brad Hunt has blown the doors off in his limited ice time so far this year for the Canucks. He, he has not necessarily staked his claim to more playing time. So, yes, you're absolutely right. It is possible that it has nothing to do with the opponent on the other side. It has nothing to do with the Rangers and, and their attempts to build this kind of physical identity. It could simply be that Travis Green looks at what he has available and has decided that this gives him the best chance to win tonight. There's more lineup notes and, and news to get into from uh, game day skate here at Rogers Arena but I do want to just talk about the matchup with the Rangers generally and more specifically kind of in the context of the Canucks season because you know I said it off the top I'm just hoping this game looks different somehow for the Canucks right that it isn't quite as flat well you gotta and hope lifeless. that their top six shows up yeah. at all because the thing is and you know it 
with the performances they've turned in recently, I understand the desire to just kind of throw your hands up and write the team off at this point. But I will also say, if this game is anything like the last three, that means the Canucks will have every chance to win it, right? They've been in each of those these three losses at home so far. Now, you could argue the one on, against Edmonton on Saturday. I know it finishes with a one-goal game. The late goal from from Besser improves the scoreline. But still, it wasn't as if they were getting run out of the rink for long stretches of that game by Edmonton. And certainly against Philly, against Minnesota. Those are one-goal games in the third, at different points in the third period where if you just have somebody step up and make a play, you are right in that game. And, and if again, if, if, if the game follows that script, at least you know that they will have that chance, that they will have a chance for somebody, anybody, to step up and make a play at the big moment. Now, of course, that's also what's made the last three games so incredibly frustrating, right, is that they have not been able to step up and take that moment and, and, and take those chances or create those chances even when they've been in those big game situations. But, again, I just keep coming back to they're not getting blown out of these games. Like, the the chances at least to get into these games are there. And if somebody in the top six, and we all pointed at Elias Pettersson, but to be fair, it could be anybody in the top six, right? It could be Niels Hoaglander. It could be JT Miller, Brock Besser. He had some moments of swag uh, last week in those games. Somebody needs to step up and seize the moment in this game tonight at Rogers Arena against the Rangers. And to your point, Rangers off to a nice start, but not a team that should be coming in here and necessarily dominating the Canucks. I think they're going to have their chance to win this game. It's just a question of, will one of the star players, will one of the key players do something at those big moments? Yeah, do anything. And, yeah. you know, like, here's a scary stat for you. I was looking at it on moneypuck.com. So I looked at all forward lines in the NHL that have played at least 45 minutes together at 5-on-5 five five as a trio this season, and there are 78. There are 78 lines that qualify. Guess who's 78th by expected goals differential? It's the lotto line. Whew. It's the lotto line there. 78th out of 78. And then defense pairs, 50 minutes, there's 87. Guess where Pullman and, and Hughes rank? 81st. Yeah. Like... This team needs their top of the lineup to clean up. They need their top of the lineup to both set the table and feast. Like, they need both from the top of the, their lineup. When when this team won a ton of games in 2019-20, right, with their top-scoring centerman on with the defenseman that he played the most with, so that's Pedersen and Hughes, yep. on the ice together, this team was plus 17 in goal differential. That led the entire NHL in similar circumstances. Like, the logic of this team requires their top end to deliver the mustard, yep. as it were. Whatever metaphor you want. <laughs> carry, carry the water. Um, you know, they need to do the work. They need to be driving this team forward. And, and right now, that's not just not happening. Like, those are the minutes in which the Canucks are most vulnerable yes. right now. And that's an insurmountable issue. Like, if that doesn't change soon... This team's going nowhere, nowhere. And and so if you're looking for tonight's game to look different, the thing that they need, especially against a Rangers top end, like Adam Fox is great, but we're not seeing Artemi Panarin dominate right. the way we have in past seasons yet. That'll happen too, right? The Rangers also, I mean, they they have a better record because their goaltending's held up, but and not the Vancouver's hasn't, just that they're right. they they're uh, they've won games where the Canucks have lost these narrow games. Um, you know, this team's top offensive talent isn't crushing people the way we expect them to yet either. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see in that matchup, like, whose top players come to play today. 
and and look the way we expect them to because neither team's best stars have like biggest stars have burned brightly to this point in the season but man if the if, if either team's more desperate for it to happen tonight it is definitely Vancouver. And the numbers you lay out there, Drancer, are so stunning because it's not as, even as if the lotto line has been mediocre, right? Like, that would be one thing, and that would be a really, really tough hill for the Canucks to overcome, right, if the lotto line was just mediocre. They've been bad. They've been really, really bad in their results, and it's it's kind of shocking. I don't think even – you could be extremely skeptical about the makeup of this team and not see that coming, right, and not see that kind of performance from the lotto line coming. So it's kind of stunning that that's what they've turned in so far. It's the kind of thing also that makes you think, man, it just has to get better at some point because those players are too talented. But, look, you can say that all you want. It's It doesn't mean anything until they do it on the ice. Lots of texts coming in, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox about what people are hoping to see tonight. Church of Pedersen says, I hope to see creative hockey with effort and passion. And I think – of those three adjectives you use there, Church of Pedersen, I think creativity might be the most important one for me. I, I don't think there's necessarily been a lack of effort or even a lack of passion. It's just a, a complete inability to make plays in the offensive zone and really create gener- really create those de- dangerous scoring chances. So if some extra creativity will help them do that, yeah, I think that might be what they need. Shiloh texts and I like this. I want to see individual efforts and see them play like an actual team. And I I like that because, yeah, you need to play as a team, but at a certain point, the star-level talent needs to take over. And they they call them game breakers for a reason. you got to break a game at some point, right? And it's great to to play within structure and play cohesively and all that, but Elias Patterson is not like every other player on the ice. He can do different things. We need to see that from him at some point. Yeah, we, we need to see him just dominate the puck, draw penalties. Like, it doesn't need to be the big goal. Right now he's got one point at five on five in nine games. Just not getting it done. And so, you know, until that happens, like, the the three pillars that this Canucks team needs to start having, ha- start hitting, right? To, to turn their season around, to start winning games, to be a playoff team. A dynamic top six hasn't shown up yet, right? Really yep. hasn't shown up yet. Even the Horvat, Pearson, Garland line, which also qualifies among the 78 forwards that I picked, are in the 70s. Like, they, they're, yep. they also have struggled. Um, they need great special teams. They haven't had them yet. They really haven't. Yeah, the penalty kill in particular has been atrocious, and the power play has been fine. But we all know that it has potential to be so so much better. And then they need great goaltending. And honestly, one of the scariest parts about the Vancouver struggles is that they've had great yep. goaltending. Like <laughs> there's no goal that the Canucks have allowed that's caused the bench to slump, you know, and be like, oh man, that's a tough one. Like in fact, they've benefited from shaky performances from guys like Carter Hart, from guys like Philip Grubauer and picking up some of the wins that they've had, their goaltendings outdueled their opponents on average just hasn't mattered. And that's going to be a tough ask tonight because Igor Shosturkin has been fantastic Incredible. to start the season. That's a really a compelling goaltending matchup uh, between Shosturkin. Potentially we'll see uh, as the Rangers get on the ice to do their morning skate, who looks to get the start for the Rangers. But we know Demko will be in that for the Canucks, and I mean, as you said, they've taken advantage of Carter Hart. They've taken advantage of Mike Smith in, in to get a point in the opener against Edmonton. You might not get those opportunities against Shesterkin, so they have to find a way to increase the quality of their scoring chances and increase the quantity of their scoring chances if they want to put up some goals tonight. Lots more text coming in, 650-650. We'll try to read some of them, respond to your questions, your thoughts, your comments about the Canucks ahead of their matchup with the New York Rangers, and we'll share more of the news, including an interesting shakeup 
on the first power play unit for the Canucks. That's all coming up next. It's the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd alongside my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance. Of course, you can read Drance's work always up at The Athletic. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. We are still live at Rogers Arena, where the New York Rangers are now on the ice, getting their skate in ahead of tonight's tilt between the Canucks and the Rangers here at Rogers Arena. And... We'll get into some texts uh, in just a second that have come in with questions about the lineup, comments, thoughts, all of that. Keep them coming in, 650-650. But we talked about it extensively in the first segment. Drancer, Travis Hamanick, based on his positioning in the lineup at Morning Skate, looks like he's primed to play tonight. But we have heard from Coach Travis Green. He's in the process of talking to the media. Obviously, first question off the bat is about Travis Hamanick. And all Green would confirm about his lineup tonight is that Thatcher Demko will start. He said he's not going to comment on the rest of the lineup whatsoever. So we still don't know officially whether Travis Hamnick will make his debut. And as you pointed out, Kyle Burroughs was not one of the other Canucks players who stayed out late after morning skate to get some extra work in, which would suggest that they're at least keeping their options open if they want to plug Kyle Burroughs in the lineup in place of somebody else. Yeah, so... Looks like, I mean, not a game time decision. I'm sure the Canucks will know, right? right? Like, I'm sure they'll want to chat with Hamannick, though. He practiced right. yesterday for the first time in a while, right? He skated today. Get a sense of how he feels. Have your options available to you in case he's not ready. And then make the determination later in the day. Probably not a game time decision, but probably a decision that they'll make this afternoon. But certainly, from the look of the rinse group, Kyle Burroughs remains an option. And, and this Rangers skate, by the way, looks optional to me, mostly because Gerard Gallant is not on the ice, um, but a pretty well-attended skate, including Ryan Reeves, who there you you go. Know, I spent a lot of uh, the summer of 2020 overhearing talk in the bubble, which was a highlight for me, including a great moment during the Canucks series where a Canucks player got too close to the Vegas bench at one point and I guess looked up and made eye contact with Reeves, and Reeves looked at him and said, what, you want to play paddywhack? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think that's the best. <laughs> Reeves is a great character. It'll be interesting to see if he plays tonight. He has played seven games, so he could be an option tonight. And obviously the Canucks don't have an answer for that you know, policing element in the game, especially having lost uh, McEwen and Gadjevich on waivers earlier this season. And doesn't it feel like we're due for – you know, we have at least one or two of these every season, right, where there's an incident – on the ice of some sort, and then somebody like Ryan Reeves on the other team asserts themselves in some way, and then everybody spends the entire night and the next day and maybe some days after that freaking out about, oh, my goodness, the Canucks don't have anyone who can stand up to Ryan Reeves. Oh, wow, where? Do they have to go trade for an enforcer? What's going on? There's no toughness on this team. <laughs> it, it feels like we might be due for one well, of those games already early in the season. I hope not because I find that pretty boring, to be perfectly honest, that whole song and dance. <laughs> we're, we're like the one radio show in sports radio <laughs> talk history that has no time for that discussion. Oh, so painful. We're the nerds show. Um, <laughs> yes, that's the, right. Uh, that's the, right. I mean, remember the Greslick hit, and then afterwards, yes. one Canuck, one different Canuck. Like, it was Tyler Myers, it was Zach McEwen. It was, like, a different Canuck every night fought for the next yep. five games. 
and then the team strongly considered trading for additional toughness at the deadline, but yep. ultimately decided not to. Uh, classic. I love I love those incidents personally. I just don't like talking about them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, there it brings some spice to the game. It's just the conversation after is, uh, well, is pre- look, pretty if, predictable. If there is anything like that tonight, if there's anything like if there's anything that even resembles bad feeling in this game, yeah, that would be an improvement, be a from, a, improvement. from a consumer experience yep. over what this crowd, sixty thousand ish strong over the past week, was treated to in Vancouver's first three home dates. Like at this point. Whatever you need to do to fire up the crowd, to get them involved, to get the players involved. Like, man, it would mean so much for this team to come out, set some kind of tone, whether it's physical, whether it's, uh, you know, I mean, ideally, heavy shift after heavy shift after heavy shift, dominating puck possession, getting the, that first goal, getting the crowd yep. into it. Like, just playing with an ounce of swagger, my goodness, would make such a difference for this team right now. You hope that they can leap over that bar win or lose just leap over that bar in the first 10 15 minutes of the game i think it would mean a lot just for the paying customers who so far you know haven't had a lot to be entertained by in vancouver's first three days getting the first goal is a good call and and i know (laughs) always you know a lot of a lot of kind of statisticians and analysts will say the whole first goal stat is overrated right it's actually not as meaningful and as as weighty as a lot of people make it out to be but Man, it just, as we've said several times, right, it just sucks the life out of the building, especially when it's happening over and over and over again that you're falling behind. And also, if you want to make life a little easier for yourself, how about you play with the lead, right? How about you don't give the other team a two-goal cushion at some point in the game that you have to fight back against, right? Like, just, if it would do wonders for the energy in the building. And also, we just haven't seen this team play with a lead that much. It, it might actually help things. It might make their lives a little bit easier if they can somehow find a way well, to get that first goal tonight. Although although then all of the talk that we've been doing about defensive improvement right. Is gets, be put tested, to the test? gets yep. tested. Like, we don't really know. You know, the Canucks have not led a lot. Like, only three teams have led less often than Vancouver has. Like, Montreal has led more often than Vancouver has. Yep. They've won two games. Um... So, yeah, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see how the Canucks perform if they do ever get a lead at any point. <laughs> I, I suspect at some, at some point no, this uh, season of course. they will, but it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's did, kind of they a... They did well closing out the game in Seattle. They did. It's I, a, I'd, I'd give them that, and, you know, what's interesting, too, is, like, they have not spent, I mean, they've spent the third most amount of time in the league trailing this yep. season. They just haven't had any finish. Like, they just haven't had any yep. finish when down a goal, like... You know their goaltending has actually been really good to hold them within one, but there's just been nothing going on on the offensive end in terms of puck luck. Um, but also, honestly, in terms of what they're generating too, like that's a, another big problem. And in every respect, this Canucks team just needs to generate more zone time, more chances, more like more detritus, like just more. Yeah. More crummy, loose change in the slot. More bad angle shots. Like anything, it doesn't even matter at this point. Well, Just get pucks to the net. That's the thing. It's we, I hate, we, I've become that guy. <laughs> you've, you've been on talk. Shoot, you've been I'm on talk radio. Yell. What two and two and a half <laughs> weeks? And you're. <laughs> I'm going to be at the game tonight, yelling "shoot" at a guy on the power play. It's on his offhand. You know, has, has to go to his backhand to receive the puck. Yeah. Are you considered shooting? <laughs> um, we talk so much about. Well, first of all, you're right. It's we've talked a lot about the high danger chances that they need to improve, but it's it's quality and quantity, right? It needs to be both, as you said. Oh, yeah. Just just generate some more action going towards the other team's net. Yeah, you would love to have all these beautiful screenshots from the high slot, right? That are so tough for the goalie and and you know the cross seam passes and all that. But just just 
make them make saves. Get that quantity up, and then maybe you can worry about the quality as well. And I, I do have to laugh, right, because we're talking off the top of the show. Man, I just hope this game is different. And, you know, different could mean blowing a 3 three nothing lead or something like that, right? So be entertaining. <laughs> it would be entertaining. be entertaining. It would give us something different to talk something about to for on. sure. Yep. Yeah. Six, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, we spent the first half of the show, Drancer, talking about how the defense is setting up, and that's – partly because of the Travis Hammonick situation, but also partly because the forward group looks identical to what they have been sending out there recently. So it's Horvat with Pearson and Hoaglander, uh, the lotto line together, Pedersen, Miller, and Besser, Dickinson skating with Garland and Pod Colson, and Lamico, Bailey, and Chason on the fourth line together. And we had this text come in from Lucas and Burnaby. He says, can you two please explain me why Travis Green has taken Connor Garland off of the second line? He was leading the team in scoring while on Bo's wing. I don't understand why that chemistry is being messed with. And, you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but from my perspective, Drancer, it just seems like Travis Green is looking for anything that has any sort of track record of working, right? And that's the lotto line that has a track record of working. And it's Horvat. Pearson and Hoaglander has a track record of working last year. And I think in an ideal world, Travis Green would have loved to kept, to have kept Connor Garland with Bo Horvat and let that chemistry continue to develop because we've talked about it, right? There is, you know, Garland is such a distinct player that you do have to kind of nurture that chemistry and give it time to build. But I think it's just a case of, man, when they're playing like this, the coach is going to be tempted to go to anything that has worked in the past. Yeah, I mean, also... You know, I don't know that they've had a ton of great chemistry, to be totally honest with you. Like, I don't know that we've seen that line work, at least not to the extent that I would have expected based on Bo Horvat and Connor Garland's talent overall, right? Like, the fact is, is that Bo Horvat's been better by most underlying metrics without Garland than he has been with. Um, the one thing is they've scored a ton, right? Like, they've, they ha- that line did generate a lot of offense, but... It was mostly ephemeral, like it was mostly a good run of shooting luck as opposed to really quality, you know, possession-driving type shifts consistently as a trio. I, I just, I, I mean, I have time for it. Like, I have yep. time for them going back to that look at some point, but I also think there's a fair bit of evidence that that line generates actually more with Niels Hoaglander than they did with... Connor Garland, like I, you know, not that that line's driven play since that since Hoaglander got put onto it, but they've done better. Like they have done better. There have been more of those shifts you're looking for in the offensive end with Hoaglander on that right wing than there have been with Garland. So you know, I I don't mind it. I also look at, at Garland's ice time the other night against Edmonton. It wasn't third line ice time. Right. Like again, this is one of those like don't get too right. lost in the rushes. Like they were using Garland all over the lineup. Garland can kind of drive offense for himself. I liked that third line. Like, I liked Pod Colson, Dickinson, um, Garland overall. So, you know, I, I don't really have a problem with it so long as they keep Garland's minutes up. And they did that against Edmonton. You know, just like I don't hate the third pair if it gets Oliver Ekman Larson's minutes up, right? Like, sometimes, sometimes I don't like the alignment in rushes, but I see how it might play out over the course of a game. Garland on the third line for me is one of those, especially because, to be totally honest with you, I don't know that the Horvat line, like, I don't know that the straight line style that Pearson and Horvat play necessarily flatters in a natural way. Connor Garland, like, 
what's less straight line than spinning right. constantly? You know what I mean? Like always twirling, twirling towards freedom, right? Like <laughs> Connor Garland plays like the Kang style of hockey, right? I mean, it, I don't think the guy's skated in a straight line for more than a stride in his entire life. Um, you know, I, I, I just think you want to put that like with guys like Dickinson and Pod Coles and you're looking at two players who don't need the puck at all. Right. Right. That's good. Like, I like that. I think, Hoaglander's more predictable cycle game is probably a better compliment stylistically in my head anyway with um, with Hoaglander well, sorry with Pearson and Horvat and and honestly if there's a player that I'd love to see Garland get a lot of run with it's the guy who's going to be the best at taking advantage of like at, at seeing soft areas of the rink and capitalizing off of any sort of weird passes that he gets off the wall and that's Pedersen he's right. also a lefty like that's the that's the one that I'd like to see but that requires them to break up the lotto line, which clearly they're loath to do, especially while they're, you know, just searching, like searching, you know, with a, um, searching with a microscope for any type of answer. Well, and that gets to what I find more frustrating about the situation, right? I'm not necessarily looking at it and thinking, man, you have to have Garland with Bo Horvat. But right now, it seems like it's either it's it's there's only room for one of Connor Garland or Niels Hoaglander in the top six, right? That's how it's played out so far this year and I think that's what I find a little frustrating and that's what a lot of other uh, a, a lot of listeners and a lot of texters find frustrating right because again why couldn't you now I, I understand maybe right if you had Bo Horvat with Hoaglander and Garland they're they're a little reluctant to do that because of the size of Hoaglander and Garland but why not try Miller Pedersen and Garland Besser, Horvat, Hoaglander, and move Pearson farther down the lineup. And Sean from Waterloo texts in along those lines, right? How about Horvat, Garland, and Hoaglander? Bump Pearson down, not Garland. I just look at it, and, and another text comes in, Jimmy in Vancouver. Hi, guys, great show. Can you please explain why Green has Pearson stapled to Horvat? And I, the reason is they've been successful together, right? There's they do They obviously do things that Travis Green likes. But I also look at it, and Niels Hoaglander and Connor Garland are clearly – have been and are two of the team's more effective offensive players. And I, I just think you have to find a way to put both of them in, again, in positions to succeed, in positions where they can use that dynamic offensive ability. And if it means you play Pearson farther down the lineup, then so be it. I look at Tanner Pearson. I think he could have success with Jason Dickinson and Vasily Podkolzin. That that lineup, at least in my mind's eye, yeah, absolutely that could play effectively together. So, you know, I'm not saying, oh, it's a disgrace that Tanner Pearson's in the top six or anything like that, but it does seem like Travis Green has been willing to try a lot of other things out. Why not experiment a little bit with that duo? Maybe break it up. Maybe it gives you a chance to put Garland or Hoaglander in a better position at yeah. some point. Uh, you know, it's it's like um, it's like a logic games puzzle, right? Like yep. It's like one of those things yep. where, you know, for example, Besser and Horvat had a great season together in Besser's rookie year, but in the years since, the Canucks just haven't scored five on five when they've been on the ice together. And when you watch them play, it seems like there's not a ton of chemistry there. So that makes it tough to remove Besser from Pedersen's wing, right? Which you'd probably want to do if you're putting Garland with yep. Pedersen, right? Yep. Um, because then you create a dynamic where, yeah, you create this dynamic where, um, you know, maybe your second line's not you're not getting the most out of two of your most important offensive pieces, right? And then similarly, if you move JT Miller to center, right, then you're limiting the the guy who I think the Canucks like to have to win draws right. and help Pedersen drive play. And when Pedersen and Miller have been on, I mean, that chemistry has been undeniable. It's just that we haven't seen it yet this year. And, I mean, maybe we will. I'm, I, If anyone's going to figure it out on this team, it's those two guys. Like, it's guys with that level of ability. It's just that, 
you know, to this point, there's been no bottom line, like no cutting edge. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of tough to figure out answers. Like, honestly, the line I'd love to see get some run is because they played about 10 minutes together in one of the games earlier this season, and I thought it worked really well, was Hoaglander, Miller, Besser. Yeah. I really like that. But yep. if you do that, where, where, where are you going to end up playing Pedersen? Like, Pod Coles and Pedersen, right. Garland is a third line or something, like with Dickinson, Pearson, and whomever, Mott, maybe. Maybe when that comes back, you can throw them at Tufts and throw the Pedersen, Pod Coles, and Garland line at, at third-line matchups. I mean, maybe something like that, but that's sort of down the line. I think you need another defensive-oriented piece to make that work, more than the Canucks have at the moment. So, you know, I, look, you stick with the familiar, right? Right now, these guys... For so much of this season, they haven't seemed to have chemistry. They haven't had execution in the offensive end. They haven't been able to, honestly, just string passes together. Like, that's yes. been a big problem. Yes. And that, honestly, that's one of the reasons that I think Hamannick, Hamannick's return can have a big impact is when you look at Pullman and Hughes, that pair has struggled mightily, like mightily, one of the worst play-driving defense pairs in hockey. Um, you know, I think that Hamannick can help them help Hughes help in Hughes's minutes just sort of retain puck possession a little bit better than Pullman does where there's a lot of sort of plays that kind of die on his stick so you know for me going with the familiar uh going with familiarity makes a fair bit of sense at this moment but yeah I mean if it doesn't work like how how many minutes does the lotto line have to log at this point being sub 30 percent by expected goals before you say hey that's unplayable Right? Like, if that was a fourth-line trio, right? Like, if that was a yep. fourth-line trio that didn't have a body of work previously, I'd be crushing a coaching staff for keeping them together because I'd be saying, that's unplayable at this point. And, I mean, that's the level that their performance has been at. It's been that bad. And so, you know, we've seen it work, so we, we cut them a little bit more benefit of the doubt than we would a fourth-line group that's just been assembled for five games. But they do have to have a better game tonight. Like, I don't think the leash can possibly be long on these line combos. Well, there has to be a breaking point at some point, right? Like, eventually, it's a it's a results-based league, right, to use a cliche, but you, Is it? you have to... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in this market, it hasn't been. That's a good point. You know, but, like, I, I, I mean, I welcome this being a results-based league again. But you're right that the bottom line has to be there at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, at a certain point, the 1920 season just keeps getting farther and farther away, right? And it has less and less weight to what's going on the ice, what's happening on the ice day in, day out during this season. And, you know, whether that means going back and experimenting with, with Horvat and Besser together or whatever it is, you're right. At a certain point, the lotto line, it can't just be a case of the reputation keeps them together. There has to be some sort of final product, some sort of production on the ice. Final few minutes, and I did want to get this in because we teased it a little bit earlier. Alex Chason, not on the power play, on the first power play unit, I should say, when the Canucks were doing their game day skate this morning at Rogers Arena. Brock Besser replacing him on that on that unit, which is a move tons and tons of fans and commentators have called for, have questioned why it wasn't happening. But the thing I find interesting is that they're not moving the position of anybody else on the power play unit. They're just putting Besser right in the net front position where Alex Chason has been playing. And Again, it just comes. I, I still look at it, and even Elias Pettersson has talked about when Besser is in the spot that JT Miller normally occupies right now, and Besser is on his one-time side. Pettersson has talked about how much that opened things up for him on the other flank, and it, it's a situation here where, look, I, I I think it's the right move to get Besser up to the first power play unit, but it's kind of a half measure to me. I, I still want to see what that group looks like with Pettersson, Hughes, and Besser around the perimeter, and and. 
Patterson and Bass are both on their one-time sides. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that would be too obvious, Jamie. <laughs> and why is why would you do that, right? Yeah, like, the obvious move is never the right move. Put, never. Put one of the 25 scorers in hockey that can reliably beat set goaltenders with a wrist yeah. shot and the perimeter of a power play? I don't know, man. I don't know. And it's not as if you don't have other net front options. JT Miller designed in a lab to play in the net on the net front in a power play. No, but seriously, like doesn't that perfectly fit his skill set to a certain degree? Yeah, it also worked. I mean, the only the only time that Miller on the half wall really started to to cook for me was when they had Tyler Toffoli yep. down low. And Tyler Toffoli's such a good passer, right? And just such a smart goal scorer that it that it made sense to have a guy who could quickly play give and go from the half wall to down low with Tyler Toffoli, and that option, especially with Pedersen being viewed still as a huge threat on his one-timer side, something that teams aren't respecting. Right. Like, he, he doesn't have the same gravity. He needs to prove it again yeah. before he gets that gravity back. But, you know, that opened tons of space for Bo Horvat. It was such a key part of Vancouver's playoff run in the 2020 bubble. Other than that, I just find it difficult to escape the impression that this power play has been at its most dangerous by far with Besser... Hughes and Pedersen around the outside. And this unsigned text comes in saying, hey, there's fluidity to a power play. They're allowed to move around from where they start. <laughs> well, that would be great. But fluidity has not exactly been a hallmark of the Canucks power play. So if this move is heralding a new era where there is all sorts of player movement and all of this fluidity and they're, they're being creative and keeping the defense guessing, that's great. But that has not been a feature of what we've seen with the Canucks on the man advantage for some time now. No, and, and Newell Brown uh, joined the VanCast last summer uh, with me and said that in his view the lack of motion was the biggest problem that the power play had in their struggles in 2021 so like the last guy to coach this group said the lack of motion was self-defeating by the way that's another argument for putting Besser up high because if you have Miller at the net front Horvat at the bumper and Pedersen on the right circle three lefties yep. all of them are courageous and skilled enough to play at the net front all of them are good enough at finding open areas of the rink to play at the bumper you could basically have them rotate across, you know, like in, in ver situationally or based on where the puck movement's going and still keep your formation while creating a ton of confusion. I mean, I don't really understand the downside there, but, you know, it's, it's easy to say we need motion, right? It's easy yeah. to coach and say we need motion. We need to do the little things that result in a stick being out of a lane that we can punish. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's fundamentally on these players, too, to execute it. Yeah, it's a great point, and you also, again, I, I've come back to it a few times today, you got to put your players in a position to succeed. As you say, it's one thing to go say, go out there and have motion, but you have, you have to create the environment where they're going to, that's, that's going to facilitate motion and movement and fluidity and creativity and all of those things. That's going to do it for the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Don't forget, we will have the call of the game and, of course, the pregame show starting at 5 on Sportsnet 650 tonight. It's the Canucks versus the Rangers. We will be back tomorrow at 11 to break it all down. Thanks for listening. This has been the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650.